Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada. Today, as we continue our series, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached with Dr. John Newfeld, we'll look at one of the most misunderstood passages of the Bible. So let's begin as we turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, with the message, Wise and Foolish Judgment. A story is told of a woman waiting in an airport terminal, waiting to get onto her plane. She had brought a book to read and a package of cookies to eat. A man sat down beside her one seat over. The woman noticed that he was opening her package of cookies on the seat between them. He then took one out and ate it. She was shocked. But she didn't know what to say. It was rude, but do you confront him? So she reached over, took one of her cookies and ate it, just to give the impression that it was her bag of cookies and not just a bag of someone who had left it there. The man said nothing. He finished his cookies and then he reached over and took another one. Shocking again. The woman was now reaching over and a race began between the two of them eating all the cookies. No word was said. They just both ate furiously. When the last one was done without a word being spoken, the man simply stood up and walked away. She never saw him again, but she was angry. I mean, what a nerve he had. The announcement came to board the plane, and the woman got on, but she was still steaming. As she sat down in her airplane seat, she reached into her purse for a tissue and noticed, to her shock, her unopened bag of cookies. She forgot she had put her cookies in her own purse. It turns out he was not eating hers. She was eating his. You know, that's a funny story, but but it speaks about the judgments we make. How often we make assumptions that seem so right, leading to reactions that seem so justified, but we really didn't have all the facts. Sometimes we hold to false judgments for years, unaware of how wrong we've been. I'm reading Matthew 7, 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the measure you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. You know, Jesus' words, judge not, are among the most misunderstood words in the Bible. How many of us have heard people who really are doing something that's morally wrong then say to others, you have no right to judge me? You know, some time ago, I got an email from a woman who was living out of wedlock with a man. I didn't know her, and as far as I know, she was not attending my church, but she wrote me to tell me that she was a Christian and she was very tired of Christians judging her. She said, I'm living with this guy, and Jesus told us not to judge. Well, was she right? Did I have the right to judge her, or did I not? See, there's the question. We're going to get back to that. You know, for some, Jesus' words, judge not, justify a philosophy of moral relativism. What's moral relativism? Well, it's the belief that no human action is objectively right or wrong. Putting it simply, there are no absolutes. So the philosophy goes, we should tolerate any lifestyle choice anyone makes, provided they make the decision authentically. And some argue Jesus must have held this view because he said, judge not. But isn't it curious that just five verses later in verse 6, 
Jesus tells us not to throw what is holy before dogs and pearls before pigs. Of course, he's referring to people, people whom he calls pigs and dogs. If we are going to do what he says, don't throw holy things to pigs and dogs, doesn't that assume that we have a judgment to make about what's holy and about who the pigs and the dogs are? Furthermore, in verse 15, Jesus warns us about false prophets. Again, a judgment is required. Later on in John chapter 7, verse 24, he specifically commands, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here he condemns one kind of judgment, judgment by appearances, and he commands another kind of judgment, something he calls a right judgment. I'm going to come back to that very important distinction later on. But there's another matter. For many in the non-Christian world, Christians, well, they look condemning and judging. We're the ones who oppose everything, abortion, homosexuality, euthanasia, the transgender movement, well, on and on it goes. In their eyes, we look like mean-spirited people constantly wagging our fingers at others. Judgmental people are unattractive people. Now, of course, we have to sort this matter out. Christians are not moral relativists. We believe in a God who has declared his righteousness and has told us what is good and what is evil. But we're going to have to ask ourselves what kind of judgment is forbidden and what kind of judgment is commanded. Now, to be truthful, we all have an inner sense of this thing. Even the woman who wrote me the letter about not judging her went on to tell me of all the Christians who have judged her in the past. Well, it became quite apparent that she was judging them while they were judging her. See, everyone makes judgments. We can't help ourselves. But if we're thoughtful, we'll want to do better than just to say, when I'm judging, it's fine, and when others are judging, it's not. No, no. We want some kind of an objective way to evaluate judgments. You know, when I gave the example of the woman with her cookies, we might all say, we should not judge until we have all the facts. Well, true enough. Judgment without facts is always wrong. But when this woman judged the man who was eating the cookies beside her, she assumed that she did have all the facts. And that's precisely the problem. We can never be sure when we have all the facts. Do you see? The matter is quite complicated. There's an interesting passage about judging in Romans 14. In that chapter, the Apostle Paul speaks about matters of conscience, matters of lifestyle choices that have no specific scriptural command, but matters around which lots of people have opinions. In Romans 14, the issue was, what kinds of food was it permissible for a Christian to eat? Now, I know that in our day, that's hardly a controversy, but it really was in the first century. So given that Christians were divided about that issue, and given that this really was a matter to be determined by each person's conscience, the Apostle Paul in Romans 4 verse 13 writes, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. In other words, by judging people according to standards not found in the Bible, we are making it difficult for them to grow in their faith. I mean, these might be new believers or, or weak Christians who are driven from fellowship because of judgment based on standards not found in the Bible. So, 
We are not to judge one another over personal standards that are not commanded or forbidden in Scripture. Now, if we are to put it into our terms, it goes like this. A woman wears pants rather than a dress. In some cultures, that's bad. But, says Paul, do not judge her. A young man or woman has a tattoo, and maybe not just one, but all over. Don't judge. One drinks wine, the other does not. Judge not. See, these are matters of personal conscience, and we should allow people to work these matters out for themselves. Do not judge matters of personal conscience. If you do, you will destroy some people's opportunities to come to the faith. Okay, that principle is taught in Scripture. Was Jesus speaking about these kinds of things? Well, yes, most certainly. But is that all? Well, there are other matters that Jesus might be speaking about as well. Here's another example. All of us know people who are judgmental. Perhaps you're one of them. These are the kinds of people who think the worst of someone else. They have the harshest thing to say about the behavior of others. They're always commenting about something. The behavior of other people's children whether your clothes are stylish or badly chosen. They don't like your bad grammar. You look stupid with lipstick that you use. These are the kind of people who are constantly looking down on others whose great delight in life is to point out failures and shortcomings. They generally have an opinion about everything. Is Jesus speaking about this? Well, no doubt. But as we've already noticed, there are some things we are to judge. Here's a for instance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul severely criticizes that church for not taking church discipline seriously. And then he says, and I'm reading 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? I've always found that to be a fascinating passage. Paul will not judge those outside the church. That's for God to do and he will do so on the final day. After all, those outside the church don't know about God's grace and how God's commands lead to life. They're ignorant. But those on the inside, well, that's a different matter. Jesus' words, judge not lest you be judged, is one of the most misunderstood passages in the entire Bible, sadly, even within the church. Jesus is calling us to learn how to judge rightly and according to biblical standards. We must be careful to avoid judging others based on superficial standards. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld helps us discover what in fact is the proper way to judge based on Jesus' own teaching. Well, hopefully you've been following our current series with Dr. Neufeld as he's been unpacking the rich teaching of Jesus in his famous sermon on the Mount. Well, we have one more week of the greatest sermon ever preached series, and that means you can still get a CD of these timeless messages for yourself. Available for just $35, including shipping and handling. Contact us today to get your copy. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Neufeld. The Apostle Paul says, What business is it of mine to judge the world? Let's do proper judgment in the church. But even here, we can very easily be led astray. How many Christians are wounded and hurt because they have felt a judgmental attitude in the church? 
But what Paul is commending is not license for us to start judging fellow Christians harshly. Rather, 1 Corinthians 5 is about proper church discipline, not individual attitudes of prejudice. The scenario goes like this. Someone has committed adultery. Leaders in the church try to discipline that person. They encourage, they urge, then they warn, but the person remains unrepentant. The adulterer says, I want to be in the church, but I do not want to submit to Christ. In the end, a judgment must be made, and this judgment follows a process carefully outlined for us in Matthew 18. That's the kind of judgment encouraged in 1 Corinthians 5. But the question remains, when Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged, how do we know that when we are judging wisely, and how do we know when we're judging foolishly? Is there some easy way to tell? Well, I think so. Foolish judgment consists of two things. First, it consists of judging things I know nothing of. Now, under this heading, I could place a number of subheadings. Let me list two of them. A, it's foolish to judge someone's freedom in Christ. Do not judge people on what they eat, drink, wear, or their mannerisms. Don't judge someone's freedom. If you do, you're judging something you know nothing of. We need to allow people to be as free as Christ allows them to be. Where there is no clear command, offer no judgment. And B, don't judge a person's motivation. That's what Jesus was talking about when he warned not to judge by appearances. You might point out a person's sin, but you don't know anything about what motivated that sin. Listen, when you say that person is proud or arrogant or that person has an unforgiving heart or even that person doesn't care about others, don't you see how different that is from saying that person is committing adultery? In the latter case, we can and must judge because it's something we see. But in the former case, where most of us make ungodly judgments, it's about motivations and attitudes that are hidden in the heart. And in that case, Jesus sternly warns us not to judge. I, for one, have noticed that shy people are often judged for being aloof. Don't we see what we're doing? We're making judgments about things that none of us can have all the information to. And in so doing, we're utterly destroying people's lives. I said that foolish judgment consists of two things. First, it consists of making judgments about things we can't know. And second, it provides judgment without leaving room for grace and reconciliation and healing. See, there are two ways to speak into someone's life. We can speak grace into their lives, or we can speak condemnation. You know the difference? Sure. We all do. When you call for a person to change, to repent, to turn, are you doing so in order to heal them or to put them in their place? Judgmentalism is a hypocrisy for it calls for repentance, but it really seeks to reject and to marginalize. Grace, on the other hand, is sincere for it calls for repentance with a tender heart that loves restoration. All of us know the difference. We can speak into people's lives in a way they feel loved or in a way they feel condemned. Foolish judgment closes doors. It builds walls. It creates anger, and it leaves resentment. Gracious judgment gives clarity, invites relationship, and breathes out love. 
That's the difference. So when Jesus says, judge not, what is he saying? You know, he is condemning ungracious, ignorant judgments. Notice two principles from verses 1 to 2. First, notice that God will judge us in the same manner that we have judged others. This should be seen as a very stern warning. With the measure you use, you will be judged. Without grace, without the call for relationship, is that what we want? How would you like God to treat you as you treat others? Here's a promise. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The second principle is found in verses 3 to 5. The passage about logs in our eyes. Of course, we are not to take this literally, but it does make quite a picture, doesn't it? Imagine someone with a log sticking out of their eye, complaining about a little fleck in someone else's eye. See, the crazy thing is, everyone can see it, but we who do it can't. We think, I'll point out somebody's sins while we're unaware of our own. Our hypocrisy is apparent to all. But, says Jesus, this is what we do. First take the log out of your own eye. You know what that takes? Humility, a repentant spirit, a willingness to be corrected, a willingness to confess our own sins. I found that humble people who are aware of their own sin actually can take the speck out of somebody else's eye. But people who are unaware of their own sin, well, they're hypocrites. See, Christ really does want us to speak into the lives of people to bring about repentance and and faith and transformation. We really are to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We are really called to call people from self to Christ. We want them to know what is destroying them, and we want to know who it is that can heal them. That's our calling. But when we lack grace and warmth and a genuine repentant spirit in ourselves, we can never do this. You know, I remember a professor I had in seminary who told us, men, when you preach about hell and judgment, you'd better do so with a tear in your eye and an ache in your heart. Anything short of that and you'll be a Pharisee. You know, he was absolutely right. People without grace can't preach grace. And so Jesus has warned about foolish judgment, about the kind of judging that drives people away from him rather than attracts them to him. But then having done that, we come to verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now here's how I understand verse 6. Jesus is not using the word dog and pig as we do. He's not saying certain people have bad hygiene like a pig or they're worthless as a dog or so forth. Rather, both dogs and pigs are known for attacking people. You know, years ago when I was helping my father-in-law load pigs into his truck to take them to the slaughterhouse, one got away. It was winter and the pig ran out into the cold Saskatchewan winter out into an open field. I hopped onto the snowmobile and went out after it. That was my first ever encounter with a vicious pig. Instead of running away from me, that pig came after me. And what a lesson I learned. Packs of roving dogs can do the same. The point Jesus is making is that there are people who have no stomach for the gospel or the wisdom of God. They love to eat other people alive. They delight in putting people in their place, in triumphing over them, in winning the day, in throwing others out of the fellowship, and in wrecking human lives. 
Jesus is saying of those people, don't engage them. This ministry of truth and reconciliation or grace, of being light in the world and of the things Jesus spoke of, simply will never register with them. Don't engage vicious people. Wisdom consists in knowing when to speak and when to remain silent. So let me come back to the letter I received from from the woman who said she was a Christian and she was living with a man and that she was demanding that no judgment be given. The tone of the letter seemed harsh and demanding, but I didn't know what motivated it. Perhaps she was hurting. Perhaps she was looking for a fight. Perhaps she was confused. I mean, I didn't know. And in that moment, whether rightly or wrongly, I chose not to speak. Why? Because I know that God has not called me to quarrel or to fight and to hear my faith mocked. Paul put it this way in Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your speech always, always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious speech, reasoned responses, a call for individuals to come to know our God. May this be how we must be known. If we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, may it show in the way that we speak and the way that we think. Well, today we've covered a lot of important ground on this topic of judging others. There is so much relevant teaching here that we can all apply when it comes to how and when we judge. Let's continue to learn how as believers we can become more Christ-like in this area of Christian living. Be sure to join us next week as we wrap up the greatest sermon ever preached. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. David wrote in Psalm 25, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. This verse captures the mission of Back to the Bible Canada. This past month, Dr. Newfeld and a ministry team from Back to the Bible Canada were privileged to visit Back to the Bible India in Hyderabad. There we met ministry leaders, shared the Word of God, and discovered how we might work together to more effectively teach the Word of God across that nation. Imagine 1.3 billion people, a nation that represents incredible spiritual need and diversity, but with a great thirst for discovering the hope found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. For that purpose, would you join us to bring the Bible teaching resources of Dr. John Newfeld to the nation of India? Resources that expand the presence of reliable Bible teaching on radio and through the use of a mobile optimized website. Bible resources to be distributed widely in English, spoken by the majority of people in the urban centers, as well as Telugu and Hindi, and with a vision to include even more languages as opportunity and resources allow. We pray you share our passion for this incredible international ministry opportunity. Call us today for more information or to offer your gift. Or if you're a monthly partner, perhaps you'd consider increasing your monthly gift by even $10 so that together we might work toward reaching an annual India ministry goal of $100,000. Together, so much can be done for the kingdom in India. 
call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca.